smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome back, everybody. Friday, July 24th. John Aravosis here with Cliff Schechter. Cliff. Hey, John. How are you? Hey, Cliff. Good. Any any, uh, unmarked uh, uh, feds showed up at your place yet to put a bag over your head? (laughs) Take my dog away. Spirit you off to... Trumplandia? Not yet. I'm, su- I'm surprised they haven't. But um, but in that vein, we are so happy to have back um old friend and uh, uh Malcolm Nance, a former and I well, you guys probably know who Malcolm is, but for any of our new people who might not, uh, Malcolm's a former U.S. Navy senior chief petty officer specializing in naval cryptology. He's an expert on terrorism, intelligence, insurgency, and torture. In 2014, he founded and became the executive director of the Terror Asymmetrics Project, a national security think tank. And Malcolm is also a four times New York Times bestselling author of the of. Well, here's I got three of them. You have to tell me what the fourth one is, Malcolm. The plot to hack America, the plot to destroy democracy, how Putin and his spies are undermining America and dismantling the West. And we had you on to talk about both of those. And the new book uh, came out last fall, I guess, The Plot to Betray America. Which we'll talk about was, shortly. But what was the? It was one of your ISIS books that was a bestseller too, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it was a book called "Defeating ISIS" uh, wow. in 2016. And here's the funniest story about it. One day, Time Magazine called me and said, "Hey, what do you think about what Trump said about your book?" And I said, well, "What did Trump say about my book?" Yeah. And you know, it has words in it. And it's such a big picture go, book. They said he just told us in an interview. Defeating ISIS was the last book he read. Uh, <laughs> I said, there's 544 words or pages yeah. in that book. Yeah. You sure I, it I wasn't like, you sure, you sure it wasn't like that cartoon I watched when I was a kid about Almighty oh, ISIS? And it was this woman who was like a knockoff of Wonder Woman. And she she had this amulet she got as an, as an anthropologist in Egypt or paleontologist. <laughs> and then she would touch it and she'd turn into the Egyptian goddess ISIS. I'm telling you. The Hanna Barbera ISIS. Yeah, he, he, yeah, that's right. He might have been. He knew what happened here. He just listened to Ice Ice Baby, and he got a little mixed up. He, it was it, no offense, Malcolm. It wasn't your book. <laughs> I think it was worse than that. I think he was he was going through LaGuardia, and he saw one of those Hudson bookstores, and the book right. was face out. Oh, but that's kind of cool. Eating ISIS. And hey. the guy goes, love it. I read it. <laughs> I need to, we need to defeat ISIS. I saw it in a book. Um, hey, so before we go on, Malcolm, because we are so yeah. high powered now as a best selling podcast on Apple, Apple what? podcast, um, we know, have to do, we have to do ads. So let me do a quick ad. And then about 15, 20 minutes okay. in, I will jump in and be a curmudgeon and stop they all pay of you us to do another ad. So, you know, what are we going to do? Well, in principle, they pay us. <laughs> um, <laughs> So summer is all about grilling, and no one understands grilling better than Omaha Steaks. Their grand summer grill-out package lets you stay home and eat like you're at the best steakhouse in town, all for much less. They've got bacon-wrapped filet mignon, pork chops, chicken, kielbasa, and more, all delivered to your door with ease. And right now, Omaha Steaks is offering an exclusive deal on this amazing package. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter the code LIBERAL into the search bar, and for this week only, Omaha Steaks will add four burgers and four gourmet jumbo franks, which I have tasted the Franks, and I have to admit they're 
heavenly, uh, for free with your order. Omaha Steaks delivers guaranteed quality and safety with every order. Your order will arrive flash frozen, vacuum sealed, and safely delivered to your door in a cooler with dry ice. Go to omahasteaks.com, type liberal in the search bar, and order the Grand Summer Grill Out Package. For this week only, you'll also receive four Jumbo Franks and four Omaha Steak Burgers free to complete your steakhouse experience. omahasteaks.com, enter the code liberal in the search bar. So, Malcolm, why don't we start with tell us what the the new book how did to or newish book the plot to betray america what's what's this one about <laughs> oh did we lose malcolm no uh-uh. no you didn't lose me oh. i just uh i'm 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 kicking out the riffraff of my neighbors <laughs> oh i was gonna say we don't have to do like a cognitive test on you there do we malcolm <laughs> woman so, person yeah, woman man camera Sorry, TV. yeah but um you know um, the new book. Well, the new um, book. well, first, um, the new book, Plot to Betray America, is actually coming out in paperback in a new updated edition. And that edition has everything going right up to the uh, George Floyd crisis and the uh, coronavirus. Right. Okay. Two of his highlights, yeah. Um, and um, so do you, how do you expand upon... Uh, yeah, I mean, is it what is it? What is it though? I mean, is it about exactly like Trump again? How Trump is trying to destroy everything? The Republicans? What's the right. thesis? Well, the premise of the book. Well, the subtitle of the book is uh, how uh, Team Trump compromised our security uh, and uh, and and uh, is beholden to our enemies. Ah. And the entire the entire premise of the book is about national security. If you right. recall, that my first book, uh, Plot to Hack America, was about how Russia had to have conducted the hacking and what systems would have been in place and how U.S. intelligence would have had to have dealt with it. The uh, second book was uh, defeating uh, Plot to Destroy Democracy. That was Russia's strategy of what they were doing worldwide and how they co-opted the American blast. The third book is strictly about Team Trump Ah. and how Donald Trump, his staff, you know, Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, Rudy Giuliani, Mike Flynn, everyone and their dog uh, plays a really, really big role in this book. And it just spells out point by point by point how our national security was compromised by Team Trump and uh, now has led to the death of 140,000 American citizens. And he is still clearly in the pocket of Moscow. So can I ask you a broader question too, um, Malcolm? We see there's some people, and I don't know this guy very well. You may have opinions on him, Seth Abramson, who tweets out lots of stuff about similar yeah. things to you. Um, and so I don't know whether to believe what he says or not. I'm not saying I don't. I just don't know anything about him. But here's the thing. It seems to me from contacts made and the, from the dossier and from other um, evidence that's come out, that there are members of Team Trump quite clearly, and maybe Trump himself, aren't just compromised by Russia, but perhaps China, uh, MBS in Saudi Arabia, you know, the Kushner right. and Qatar, Israel, even, yeah. you know, getting behind him. And, you know, so what do you do you have evidence, anything in this book? Do you cover any of that, too? Yeah, well, in fact, I cover all of that. And okay. uh, as you know, I mean, it's it's ironic. I'm blocked by Seth Abramson. But the difference here and the reason that my writings are different is that I was a career intelligence professional. He was a professor of literature or something at a small university and a defense attorney. And I don't 
I don't fault him for everything. But as you know, I was the first person in all of U.S. media to come out and identify the Russian hacking as an attack on the United States yep. and an information warfare operation. Right. Uh, and for well, frankly, that's why you're here and he's not, because I just want to be clear. I wasn't comparing <laughs> him to you. I tr- I'm asking you because I trust you a thousand times more. So that's why I'm interested yeah. if what he's saying has but, any truth to it or is just a bunch of bunk. Well, I'm sure, you know, no, I, I don't think a lot of his writing is bunk. I just think it's, it's the same stuff that everyone else is seeing. And, right. you know, you can't jump into this game. I mean, the, I wrote my first book came out on September 23rd, 2016, five weeks after I had gone on MSNBC and said, hey, everybody, this is an attack. And we, I was roundly criticized for quite some time. The next book to actually come out came out 17 months later, and that was Luke Harding's book, Collusion. And the first American book to come out came out 24 months later, and that was Russian Roulette. And so as an intelligence professional, I I see the world in a completely different viewpoint than journalists or, you know, literature professors. So I just have a completely different perspective based on experience based on all the secrets I was exposed to in my life. And for me, it's, it's much easier. Um, but, you know, I don't do ginormous tweets either. And Seth is famous for those. But, you know, God bless him. You know, there's, That's a, all right. there's a group of people that like him. One last thing. I do not believe, and this is a big distinction between me and Seth. I do not believe Donald Trump had a signed contract and was literally met with Putin and decided he would be a a betraying agent uh, right. commit treason in a conference. No, I, Trump's not like that. He's an idiot He's a, he, who was started as a useful idiot. And he was so stupid that even though he was introduced to the top richest man in Russia in 2014, right. he was still thinking by 2016 he could bribe Vladimir Putin with a penthouse apartment. Oh, I remember that. Yes, I remember right. that. Vlad doesn't have that much money, so I can see where that would happen. Well, I mean, yeah, what, Putin's only the richest man in the world. But I mean, exactly. what are you, what, what's your latest? I mean, Malcolm, you know, you were, it's funny because in our past episodes, our past episodes with Malcolm, you were quite strident, but it's funny because I think every time, every time you're a little bit further out there than I think a lot of people, and then we look back and go, yep, remember you were calling him a traitor early on. You said he, he was, he was corrupted by Putin early on. And, you know, now everyone's like, yeah. Um, but, but what do you, in hindsight now that, now that you had four years to observe this guy, and with all of your yeah. decades of experience before, what do you th- what is motivating Trump now with regards to Putin in particular? Well, you know, I think the whatever the initial motivation was is the motivation. I, and I think that that is money. And also, there is a global oligarchy. That's people who are so rich that borders mean nothing to them. Flags mean nothing to them. Loyalty means nothing to them. And those people have access to resources, um, monies, you know, locations, exclusive clubs and hot women that Donald Trump, even as president of the United States, will never have access to. I mean, Trump does not own a $100 million yacht that has a garage for three $10 million yachts, right? right. And right. so, but he sees them and he has always wanted to play in that world, not in the high society of New York, when all that illicit Russian and Saudi money started coming to the United States, he realized this globogarchy, as I called it, right. he just didn't have access to it. And he, I think he desperately wants right. that world. And well, he won't get it. Yeah. 
you know, you know, I think I agree with you. I think he's he's desperate because again, it's that narcissistic hole in him that he's only validated by the people he's around, and uh, you know, so he's got to be one of the cool, uber wealthy, you know, which is what he's been trying for his whole life. So it makes a lot of sense, right? But do you think he's yeah, is he compromised well, by Putin, or is it all just is is in other words, are we thinking more and more that Trump is simply just after the money, or do they have something on him? Well, I think I think all I think all of the above. Okay. I mean, you know, I, I I mentioned in all of my books, I go over that basic uh, trader recruitment strategy that we use called that's written by the acronym MICE. I was going to say, remember, uh, you had like recruit, four letters to it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We recruit spies first by offering them money. Uh, that always works. And I've I mean, I've <laughs> literally been on operations where guys would just take out suitcases of hundred dollar bills. Um, the most effective I saw was somebody, the phrase, uh, I'm going to put gold bars on this table and you tell me when you can't carry enough. <laughs> and that kind of money, that kind oh, of money with access to uh, giving citizenship to people's children, protecting uh. them and bringing them out of their countries, that's extremely powerful. Yeah. Uh, but mice also, the I in there stands for ideology. And people say Trump is without ideology. But I really believe this desire to be in the global oligarchy is his ideology, right. you know, to be right. the exclusive amongst the exclusives, where Davos is not an invitation for Donald Trump where people laugh at him. It's where people respect him and they cower at his feet. He wants what the panache that Putin has that he got through fear and mass murder. Trump right. wants that because he thinks he's actually a genius. The next is co-op. Wait, wait, wait. let me stop you. Let me stop you. So how do you, let me stop you, Malcolm. So on each one, how do you get him? So on ideology, what does, what does an enemy do to try to get Trump on ideology then? Well, that's where you, you, ideology leads to the letter C, which is co-option. Okay. And this is where you either, or coercion, you either blackmail him or you, you know, there's enough money put on the table with the M. There's this ideological fervor or psychological component to it where Trump wants to please Putin. Or as I like to say from time to time, when you're massively in debt to your bookie, you don't speak bad about him. Right. And, right. Right. and then, you know, the guy has the ability to destroy your world right. or make your world wonderful. And so I think right. Trump, you know, Trump had been under Soviet um, 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 reporting from the KGB as early as 1977. Oh, yeah, that's right. Who ran the KGB? Well, he didn't run it, but but he was high up. Yeah. Well, Putin was was actually a mid-level officer at that time. Oh, okay. My mistake. The full-on Soviet KGB had been monitoring him since 1977. And Ivana's, Ivana Trump's father was the actual reporting officer on hmm. Donald Trump to the Czech intelligence agency, the STB. And oh, those reporting communists for people. On. For the youngest right. listening here, were, Czech, that, at that point in time, Czechoslovakia was uh, under behind right. the red, the, the curtain, the, the iron, iron curtain. curtain. It was a, yes. Go ahead. Sorry. So just, ima- just imagine for a minute you're Vladimir Putin. And one of your senior guys comes to you and says, hey, we're getting good intelligence that this guy, Donald Trump, really wants to run for president of the United States. And we love his show. Number one show in Russia was The Apprentice at one point. Here's what Putin would do as a career KGB officer. He would say, go to the archives, 
full psychological workup on this guy. I want to see everything we have because I would. And right. you would look at it and you would go, I want oh my God. intelligence development team to meet. You're going to meet with me. I will be his handler and we're going to work this guy. We're going to make him one of our assets. What's his number one motivator? Money. What's his number two motivator? Uh, hot women. Uh, how can we get money and hot women in the same spot? This universe. He's right. asking uh, us for yeah. What else does he want? He wants, he wants, he thinks our telephone intercepts say that he thinks he can earn $4 billion off of a Trump Tower Moscow. Okay, Interior Ministry, let's get him a Trump Tower Moscow. So it's let's money, women, prestige. I mean, it's all the usual stuff that they realize that this guy basically and, has and the, every bad, every sin you could play to imaginable, and he's dumb. Sure, but the last letter is the letter E. Ego and excitement. Uh, yeah. And right. Trump is the easiest person on this planet to play. Those act, that act is used by all intelligence officers around the world to recruit traders, to recruit spies. And that's essentially what you want. But in Trump's instance, imagine having a president of the United States around your finger. And I literally, here, here's my chapter breakout in my, in my book. The first chapter is called uh, Treason in Plain Sight, where Trump comes out and does the Russia if you're listening dance. Right. But the second chapter is Vladimir Putin, man with a leash or villain with a leash. <laughs> <laughs> and the third chapter is Donald, Donald Trump, right? A man to be walked. So <laughs> it is so easy when you see it all in sequence that you realize this guy is owned. He's right. owned in, yeah. in, in such a way that the only person I don't think he has ever, uh, he has ever compromised was what has been Vladimir Putin and his father, Fred Trump. And there's some weird psychological study here that needs to be done for someone's PhD thesis. Malcolm, let me ask you something because it's actually, let me throw in one thing too. I was Googling because I remembered that, that Putin wasn't the head of the KGB, but he was some, he wasn't just a Colonel. He, he ran the FSB after the KGB was dissolved. Right. And and I had, that's what Cliff was thinking of. I knew there was some, and the FSB, from what I'm reading, I want to say they're kind of like the interior ministry. They're kind of like well, internal spies, well, right? No, what? well, no. The, <laughs> okay, um, nope. <laughs> the, the, thing you need to, the thing you need to recognize with Putin is this. Um, I've been, by the way, for research on this book, I went to Dresden and I went to his office. I found his office. Oh, neat. Turns out it's a philosophical society now. And we met the woman who had was tasked with renovating the building. Oh, and she showed, she said they pulled 100 microphones <laughs> out of all the door frames and window frames oh, of the God. building. Oh, and she was yeah, German, and um, she said everything was bugged, every room, every window. Yeah. And that was so that they all were believed that they were checking on each other, right? Oh. But they lived in a beautiful neighborhood. Um, right. If you know the, the, the uh, German composer Schulman. Um, yeah. He and his wife, Clara Schulman, lived about a block away. And it was the mm-hmm. part of Dresden that wasn't destroyed in the firebombing. But he worked in Dresden as a baby spy. And as a baby spy, you know how it is when you're the intern, right? You do all the work. And all the rest of the guys, the senior KGB officers, were at the bar on the corner across the street from the old KGB uh, NKVB right. torture center. <clears throat> and Putin loved doing human intelligence. He loved flipping people. Uh, so even as a mid-level guy who left as a colonel, 
um, when he went back to the Soviet, when he went back to Russia as the Soviet Union collapsed, he went there and used KGB tactics with them as an assistant to the mayor of St. Petersburg to liquidate the city of St. Petersburg. I mean, imagine every fire hydrant, every apartment building, every seaport, every Coast Guard patrol boat, every bullet in the police department was sold. They made hundreds of billions of dollars. And, but because he was such a loyalist, it was Boris Yeltsin that bought him to Moscow and made him the first director of the FSB. And the FSB was the KGB without the border guards. And I, I joke often that this actually happened. Um, Putin went to the headquarters of the KGB, which is number 10 Dzerzhinsky Square, right? And yep. a guy from maintenance comes up with a screwdriver. And he uses the screwdriver and he takes off the letters K and G. And then he puts up the letters F and S. And that's how the KGB ah. became the effort. <laughs> right. So um, he oh, was ahead. not he, – and I actually got into a fight with Russia today uh, <laughs> where they attacked me. They said MSNBC's Russia expert thinks Putin was the director oh, of the KGB. I remember you. And yeah. I, yeah, I hammered those guys with that. And I was like, KGB equals FSB. Thanks, bitches. So, you know, it's an important lesson so that you know who you're dealing with. Yep. His top five advisors were all KGB or FSB. You cannot be an oligarch without a KGB or FSB or Russian military intelligence GRU officer reporting to Putin on your staff. That's how serious it is in that country. Right. I'll say quickly, I'm, we need to do an ad, but I just want to say one thing. I know from when you came here to Ohio, um, you met with David Pepper, who's the chair of the Ohio Democratic yeah. Party. And David has a story because when he worked back for the, the think tank CSIS back in the, you know, when he was a young guy, he was based in St. Petersburg because they were working on economic reforms. And he used to meet with the mayor, but when the mayor couldn't make it, there was this deputy mayor guy who would come and he would meet with yeah. Vladimir Putin. And this is how you know just how. Trump is so outmatched because you're talking about all the bugs and the all the microphones. But Putin sat in this room, these negotiations with a, with a translator for a year and a half to, while David was there with other people talking back and forth. And then one day it let it slip because his his own translator did not understand something, his interpreter, hmm. that David had said. And he came out something complicated and told her what it meant and gave up the gig, which yep. is he knew English. He'd been sitting there the entire time so he could listen in on what David was saying to the folks across the table and use that against them, use that in his negotiations. So I'm saying somebody that patient and yeah. that smart. Now put that up against Donald Trump, the stupidest, yep. most impulsive person in the room. I mean, he could have anything on Trump because he could probably have convinced Trump when Trump was over there, you know, for the stupid pageants and the rest to do almost anything, right? Yeah. I mean, right. Not even close. You're, abs you're absolutely right. And also, I know David Pepper, a wonderful guy. Um, Help me find my grandmother's grave. Oh, that's right. You told that story last that. time. I you forgot about here. that. Oh. Yeah. And uh, but you know, he told me this story about being around Putin. Uh, Putin was Putin's real claim to fame was bringing the Russian mafia under control by promising them that they wouldn't slaughter them using KGB tactics and would give them a cut of whatever, hmm. whether they were involved or not. And I mean, you know, on being under Putin's krisha as they say in Russia, under his roof is a position of power. 
And that's why when Mike Flynn went to Moscow and sat at the right hand of Putin and didn't say anything to Putin, wasn't compromised by Putin, but to the view of everyone in Russia, the head of American military intelligence was now seated at the right hand of the KGB spymaster. I mean, these people aren't stupid. They're very smart. And, you know, when the next administration comes in, um, and I said this at a Washington Post forum, we're going to have to essentially go back to the Cold War to deal with them because they think that they've got us. They think that they've suckered us. And, you know, I'm a big advocate of against, you know, for retaliation and retribution for attacking the American system of government. You know, and if that means we have to take every one of their personal dollars, we will. And Joe Biden made that clear the other day. He said retaliation in kind or response in kind, personalized sanctions. That's what you have to do. I'm going to read a quick ad, and then I want to take this, what you're saying about this, a step further. Um, So we'll do that in a second, Malcolm. But um, John, you know, John and Malcolm, you know what I hate? I think I do. I think you do. When your media pops up with a summer vacation pic from five years ago, great memories, but ugh, it's like where did the wrinkles and bags around my eyes come from? Not Malcolm and John. This is just me, really. Exactly. Um, not this summer. <laughs> no more pop-up pics with deep wrinkles, uh, <laughs> fine lines, and bags around my eyes. No, I didn't get surgery. I got Plexiderm. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags all in the comfort of your home. Plexiderm goes on and lasts for hours, so nobody will know your secret. Um, you can go to Plexiderm, and, and you'll love how you look and feel this summer in both the mirrors, in, in both the mirror and photos. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use Voices for half off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm, plus an additional $10 off. Or for a $14.95 trial pack, that's $14.95 today, call 1-800-685-1292 and mention again the code VOICES. Again, tryplexiderm.com and use the code VOICES for half off plus 10 more dollars of a full bottle or the 14.95 trial plaque when you call 800-685-1292 and use voices. Um, so listen, Malcolm, I wanted to get to go further with this because you said mm. brought up a very important point. They get Mike Flynn to come sit there. Let's not forget Jill Stein too at that table. And essentially they're like, you know, we, we own these Americans, right? You know, Vladimir Putin orders them to come over. They come over. Here's where I want to take this right now. We've got, We've got the Democrats in Congress calling for an investigation and calling for full a full briefing because we know that from there what they're saying, Ron Johnson, senator from Wisconsin, is literally laundering Russian talking points about Joe Biden. He's accepted their charges, Russian information and information from Ukraine to try to make a bogus attacks. We, we, we know this happened in the past with Burisma. Trump ended up being impeached but not convicted by his his supplicants in the Senate. So I want to ask you, I mean, to me, Ron Johnson is not just a coincidence. Eight Republican senators a year and a half after, you know, Mueller and others, obviously many others said that Russia attacked our democracy. Eight senators, all Republicans, went to Russia, didn't just go to Russia, but went there on the 4th of July, for Christ's sake. Oh, that was, yeah. And sat yeah. before Putin's people. Putin then refused to even meet with them. He had his people do it. And if you're Russia, and we know, as you're saying, that you're looking for that legitimacy, that sort of strength of saying, see, we made Mike Flynn, their former head of defense intelligence, come here, and he came here because we were that powerful. What about eight Republican senators on their Independence Day 
dropping everything to come sit and beg before you. So my my ask to you is, are they traitors? Do we do we? I mean, is there any reason for us to not be suspicious that these eight people that there's something else going on we don't know about? What American? would not only go to the country after that country attacked them a year later, but go on the 4th of July. I'm really interested in your thoughts on that. You're still with us, right, Malcolm? Oh, no. Sorry about that. No, don't worry. <laughs> so what, what, I, what I wrote in my book was, was pretty clear that there, I wrote an entire chapter about why are the Republicans so easy, apparently, to, um, to turn. I don't like to use the word traitor unless you're using it rhetorically, because treason is the only crime in the Constitution, and it has very, very specific definitions. I was using it rhetorically, just to be clear. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Rhetorically, you can use it all you want, because that's pretty much what it is. It's them betraying their oaths to defend, protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. There is there is. there a, a, a thing amongst Republicans that started very, very early, around 2004, 2005, and it was right after the Russians had been attacked by the Chechnyans, uh, and they took a small school uh, uh, in a town called Beslan. And when that. the Russians counterattacked that, they slaughtered over 300 of the children, even though the terrorists did have the buildings booby-trapped and rigged. There were no real special forces doing the mission. It was soldiers that just went in and Soviet-style just shot everything that moved, and hundreds of children were killed. But there was this move amongst people in the military and the intelligentsia and the Republicans where they saw Putin's hard hand in Beslan as very admirable. And from that point onward, there was this growing admiration of Russia and Putin amongst the Republicans. And then when Barack Obama came in, well, of course, you know, it's a black guy. Um, Putin, you know, uh, Putin versus Obama always became a Obama's weak, Putin's strong. I don't know if you've ever seen that picture of Obama literally toe to toe with Putin. Staring Staring down. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Looking at him (laughs) because I've seen that stare. That's yeah. the stare that comes that you got to one, you got to step back from that because yeah. usually what comes is a sucker punch. You know, <laughs> you just you're like, oh, it's on. And, and Barack Obama literally knew how to handle this guy. That's why he yeah. hated Hillary Clinton. Putin, Vladimir Putin hated Hillary Clinton. Yeah. But then you have now all of this Russia love is going on. They had managed to compromise the evangelicals. By having these conferences called the Protection of Christianity conferences in Moscow, Franklin Graham became good friends with Vladimir Putin. The NRA was infiltrated by Russian spies, Russian agents of influence. Uh, at this point, there were uh, the right-wing extremist, uh, you know, um, guys in the alt-right were being compromised by Russian, you know, pro-Russian wives like the wife of Richard Spencer. The neo-Nazi, his wife was a pro-Moscow Ukrainian. Uh, all of these that. people. Here's an interesting one. David Duke has an apartment in Moscow. Yeah, didn't he live there for a while? Really? Yeah, of like course. He and he, he shared it with Richard Spencer. The oh, my Nazi. God. Spencer used to live in Moscow, they, too? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And they yes, basically and made they the connection all... with the American neo-fascist right, like they did in France and and Correct. you know yep. the United yep. Kingdom, so many other places, right? 
Right. And I wrote I wrote extensively about that in the plot to destroy democracy, how the American fascist right, we are the last ones to be compromised in this world. And Charlottesville was supposed to be their coming out, their giant coming out party to show all the English and German, Austrian, Hungarian right wing groups that had been funded by Moscow that we were now going to create our own, you know, alliance, our own wing of that alliance with Trump as the leader. So all of these components are under, were not under Moscow's control so much as they're influenced by hot Russian women and this belief that Barack Obama, black guys and black people were evil. And Americans came to see, these right-wing Americans came to see Russia as the last, this is their phrase, the last bastion of white Christianity. Right. That's why the, the Christian right loves them, because uh, now you see why they love them. Acts on gays on, and, and lesbians. And I mean, you've spoken about some of that, John. OK, you know what? Let me do a quick ad, guys, and let's come back to that, because that's I was just Googling Spencer as you were saying that. And I had no idea about the Russia stuff. Yeah. His partner who became his wife was a Russian Canadian, has then left left or they've left each other. But but she also seemed to even joke about spouting Kremlin talking points that hope they're also ask me about weird. that because I'll tell you yeah let's worked for. okay let's jump into that uh, afterwards so we all know that the clean phone pro with its powerful uv lights kills bacteria and viruses that live on your cell phone car and house keys credit cards earbuds face masks and more but what happens when you're driving to the store you reach for your face mask and realize you wore it yesterday now you can sanitize that mask in under five minutes in your car because the Clean Phone Pro now ships with a powerful car plug adapter included in the package. So whether you're keeping safe at home or have to go out, you can have the benefits of the Clean Phone Pro with you and sanitize those constantly touched items anywhere, at home, in the car, or at the office. Get the Clean Phone Pro now with a car plug adapter. Add the code SEXYLIBERAL, one word, SEXYLIBERAL, at checkout, and you'll get free two-day shipping. Only you can defend yourself and your family from bacteria and virus. Get the new Clean Phone Pro package get a oh you can also get a kn95 face mask oh actually i keep getting confused about this but it looks like if you use the code sexy liberal you get a mask and the free two-day shipping that's what it says here folks don't hold me to it uh go to the new and get your clean phone pro so yeah malcolm talk to us about uh right i guess richard spencer and the spouse but you know you know it's funny and again don't want to i don't want to cast aspersions but i know people were very Journalists I knew were were some were very curious about George Papadopoulos's wife as well, but oh, no one yeah. found no one found anything untoward. We just found it interesting that this sort of beautiful Southern yes. European fell for Papadopoulos, well, or whatever. So there's yeah. there's a whole national security component of that story that has never been investigated. And but you know Richard Spencer's wife was uh, was pro Moscow Ukrainian. And she was the official translator for a guy by the name of Alexander Dugin. And Alexander Dugin is the official philosopher of Trump's uh, post-communist, pro-neo-fascist world. Oh, she's the professor, professor, right? I'm sorry? Dugin is like that professor, right? Who has the whole theory. He's not actually a professor. He is a former communist who now runs this institute in Moscow okay. um, that, but you know, they liken themselves as academics, but they developed this philosophy that Putin sort of tacitly endorses, uh, but that is being executed that where the poles of the world, post-World War II, 
were Washington to the European liberal democracies and to the rest of the world and beyond for influence. His philosophy of which um, was that that poll, those polls at the end of this Cold War should be reversed because they have money and the world should be oriented from Moscow to to ex-liberal democracies, read fascist democracy, fascist governments around the world with the assistance of a fascist United States. Now, that sounds crazy until you realize Alexander, Steve Bannon was a deep student of Alexander Dugin. That's and right. he believes that it was, yeah, it was Bannon. <laughs> Interesting. Right. And so, as a matter of fact, in, in my previous book, I, Under Putin's Philosophers, I threw Steve Bannon because Steve Bannon was the ideological bridge of this global autocratic fascist worldview that the United States should move from liberal democracy towards a, a, a form of totalitarianism. And I just had a fan come by. But, um, <laughs> Where are you right now? I'm, I'm, I'm in Hudson, New York at, at a cafe that I, oh, that I frequent. I love that you're, one you, of got, the... <laughs> you got fans in Hudson. That's cool. I, know, I have a good friend there. I'll tell him a little bit for you in. The funny yeah. thing is, I'm one of the two Malcolms that haunts this cafe, and the other is right. Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, that's really? funny. Huh. That is pretty that's funny. So, but Steve Bannon, his belief that he should, you might have heard over the last few years, when he went around Europe and started telling people, be unapologetically racist, be right. unapologetically fascist, yeah. be unapologetically anti-immigrant and anti-brown people, and then tried to establish a a what he called a school for conservative gladiators. Oh yeah, in Italy. Yeah, and it got knocked down, but it's just started back up. He got this fascist, you know, the the uh, formerly socialist, now fascist Italian government to back him. This is a world movement, and right. Putin views himself as the leader of this movement hmm. that will, as he put it in his own words, end liberal democracy. Right. Wow. Um, so that leads to another question. Um, can we stop him? <laughs> Trump or Putin? Oh, yeah. We, we can stop him. And the Putin. thing that, yeah. you know, the, the, yeah. the beautiful thing about, about Putin's strategy is that they use democracy to eliminate democracy. They do it by changing political parties, turning them into these aut autocratic pro-fascist parties. And then you vote democracy out of power. Right, Hungary, Poland, Turkey, fascism. Right? right, I mean, Philippines, and, all these places yeah. voted fascists in, and when you vote a authoritarian in, the problem is you, you don't get the chance to vote them out often. But that's the beauty of it. They use your own tools to destroy you. They use freedom of speech to espouse fascist philosophy. Right. They use free right to assembly to have riots against people of color. They use your own tools, and the thing is, Everything that I've said, everything that I've written in these three books are all Soviet baseline strategies. So when you have a career communist, and I, I always have this fight on, on the Internet where people come up and they say, Putin was, isn't a communist. You can't call him a communist. This guy was a career freaking KGB officer. Right. Right. Either he was a very good actor for all of his career or at some point in his career, he was a hardcore communist. 
And Masha Gessen, in his official biography, wrote that he had gone to a KGB open house at 13. They told him what to do to join the KGB after university, and he did it, which means he's harbored this lifelong belief. But now that they are a kleptocratic state that is using former Soviet goals, they still have to achieve the results that the Soviet Union wanted. It's just that they're doing it for a James Bond evil villain nation led by a James Bond evil villain rich guy. But their goal is still to wipe out Western democracy as it has existed since the day we landed in Normandy. And Putin understands that the way that you do that is you use Americans, you, you know, and you divide us from within. Right. Right. And you just you carry out what what um, what Stalin and what Khrushchev had said about we will destroy you from the inside, from within. And, you know. We will, we will, ha- you know, we will hang you, and we will, you will sell us the rope. Well, this Putin is where. Go ahead. Just got rid of the, the facade of com- yeah. Putin just got rid of the facade of communism, but they've got the same damn goals. Right, and, and you see it. I mean, this is where kind of probably my background as a historian comes in, which is, you know, as you know, Khrushchev. One of the big sort of goals was to use the racism in the United States to divide us. The fact that we had so much, he purposely went and stayed when he came here at a hotel in Harlem. You know, he, he, he very smartly highlighted the fact that America did not treat people equally to undermine sure. uh, our philosophy. And so this has been a long time, uh, you know, propaganda tactic of theirs. Um, and, right. and to think they wouldn't use it just because they're calling themselves now. They're, now they're right-wing authoritarians. They used to be left-wing authoritarians in the end. They're still trying to kill liberal democracy, and this is how you do it. Of course. And they use – look, you know, again, when I told that story about how the uh, the FSB – or the KGB became the FSB, you know, those archives weren't thrown into a furnace and burned. They've got every original propaganda warfare document, strategy paper, just point discussion points from the day that the – you know, the that the, uh, the October Revolution started – Till today, and unlike us, those people study their history. They use the psychologist, the psychologists of the Soviet Union, by the way, their psychiatrists and psychologists. They use them as organs of the government and the intelligence agencies. So when they did a study about American racism, it was let's study American racism, then let's figure out how to use it against them. Those documents, studies, research papers, social scientists, they all work for Vladimir Putin now. And if I was, you know, head of U.S. intelligence, I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be dropping a billion dollars on, you know, information on how we can, you know, best combat our foreign adversaries using all of our resources. Malcolm, what should Biden do? Let's assume Biden gets elected. What should he do on day one to counter the Russian threat? Uh, well, I think the first thing he should do is pick up the phone and say, get me Malcolm Nance in here. <laughs> yeah. but, I saw your security advisor, Malcolm Nance. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's not going <laughs> to yeah. happen. But, um, <laughs> you know, but I'll tell you the truth. Um, it wouldn't be a bad thing. Uh, we have to recalibrate the, the, the way that America is viewed in the world. And what we have to do is we really need to reestablish that America's defense of democracy is restarting now, 
that what happened wasn't an aberration, but was actually uh, a flaw in the American experiment that won't happen twice, like the Civil War. And we need to, I'll tell you, I'm a big fan of Glenn Kirshner's uh, philosophy of a record of a Trump Crimes Commission. Now, you notice I didn't say truth and reconciliation. I mean, the the next attorney general needs to go after everyone in that administration with hammer and tong. The laws that were broken need to be reestablished by sending people to prison. Um, And so with but with dealing with Russia, hardball worldwide you want to play this game we're going to start hunting you down you did a chemical weapons attack against our ally in in the united kingdom we are going to start rolling your officers up and we're just going to start arresting every fsb officer in the world period you know and you know people say well you know they'll start doing that to our assets that tit for tat is over we're going back to 1962 now uh you know and we have to because they think they can walk all over us. And it's as simple as this. Everywhere they are, we confront them. Every place you know, where people think they're squishy on whether they should support the United States, we pull our dollars. You know, uh, China is actually being the adult in the room these days. Uh, but, but Russia? Russia's a child that needs to be slapped. <laughs> that's the name of our podcast, by the way. I'm right you gave you, you gave your name. Russia is a child that needs to be slapped. Now we're, gonna 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 people, now we're going to hear from people, don't slap children. That's not that's what right. we're saying, but yes. But the exception. Most children we won't slap. Russia. Unless it's your child's Russia, but yeah. No, no it I, seems I to think, me you're, you're yeah. absolutely right about, I mean, we know we need to reinvigorate our, our, uh, our relationships with allies that they've destroyed, you know, and, and I mean, uh, I would guess that a whole bunch of intelligence operations, you'd know more than me, that he probably were stopped by Trump, compromised, whatever, need to get going again. We need to treat this oh. as, the, as the threat that it is. There has to be a national counterintelligence survey of the entire U.S. intelligence. That means we need to go through everybody with a fine-tooth comb. And I don't mean to go hunt for Trump loyalists, although Trump loyalists should get the hell out of the out of uh, military, you know, and intelligence operations. You know, any political appointee, they have to go. They have to resign anyway. But uh, you know, these guys who are college students that were given jobs. But, you know, in the Justice Department, because they were friends of, you know, uh, uh, of Squeegee and, and whatever, those people <laughs> need to go. And we need to make sure that the United States intelligence community, I mean, you know, we need to do a red dye test. We need to make sure that there are not Americans who are real traitors, traitors as in the definition of the Constitution, uh, wow. and make sure that these congressmen and senators and their staffers and their relatives didn't go to Moscow, or if they go to Moscow, that there are repercussions. A lot of people, if Trump goes out of power, are going to be looking for money. And the right there's not enough right-wing welfare in the Trump world because they've burned all their bridges. The Kochs and, uh, you know, and the Mercers are not going to be paying the salaries of tens of thousands of these people. So they're going to start trying to ply their interests between, you know, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, uh, you know, Turkey and Moscow. And I say we roll them up too. Yep. I mean, again, I, I, we'll see, right. I, I I don't, I've used trader rhetorically and, you know, and I don't have evidence when it comes to sitting here and saying, well, this guy did A, B, C, and D, but some of these folks whose opinions did a, you know, a complete 180 
you know, the, the Lindsey Graham's and Rand Paul's and Ron Johnson's and John Kennedy, the Senator from Louisiana. I mean, I'm sorry. Somebody needs to figure out what's going on there. That's all I got to say. All I can say is this, the, if there is a Biden administration and let's all pray that there is that anyone, the word on the street ought to be anyone who has worked in the interest of our enemies will be held to the highest level of, of accountability of the law. And you can't use hide behind. I was a United States senator and Donald Trump sent me there with a letter to Putin and Putin whined me and dined me because that's what Rand Paul did. He was like yep. shuttling as Trump's personal private representative to Putin. Uh, so that's he needs to be him. brought before his peers and explain that. It's not just an ethics complaint. We need right. to put people out of office and we need to hold people to criminal standards because, you know, this is, you know, I always get my, my buddy there, Glenn Greenwald. Hey, you want to talk about a person <laughs> who we all compromised, love him. Yeah, us too. compromised in his ethics and his, and, um, you know, the man who facilitated, literally facilitated treason. He literally yeah. did. He helped Edward Snowden escape this country. And where did Edward Snowden so, go again? Moscow. And my what favorite part is these guys always try to say, well, he was trying to go to Ecuador. If he had been going to Ecuador, we would have had him in six months. Yeah. But he went to Moscow and Glenn went there with him. And Glenn hasn't been the same since. So anybody else can figure out what they think that means. But I'll let hey, you talk about all it. All I know is is that all I know is he is under FSB control, has an FSB lawyer, lives in an FSB safe house and is not free to walk around without SSB surveillance, all right? Because, you know, they view him as a double-edged threat, too. If Snowden were suddenly come back into U.S. custody, whether he was, you know, secretly renditioned by another administration or de redefected back to the United States, and he dimed those Russians out about what happened over there, oh, my God, it would, it would you know, Putin would be sending guys with nerve agents back to this country. And that's another thing. That stuff is over. Those days oh, of yeah. you come into the West, yeah. you try to overthrow the government of Mas of Montenegro with yep. Serbian and, and, and Russian-backed special forces. You know, you try to, you know, disrupt the government of France. You know, what's that, what's that phrase from the untouchables, right? Yep. He, you know, he breaks your, your arm, you send one to the hospital. That's right. He sends one of you guys to the hospital, you send you one, send one, one to, the to the morgue. morgue. So John knows. John grew up in Chicago. It's the Chicago way. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's the reestablishment of America as as the defender of democracy to the point where we will will risk our lives has to be re, re, recalibrated. Nothing less than total hardball with them, because otherwise they'll think, oh, Joe Biden's like Obama. You'll just walk all over them. Some of those norms that have been broken are going to stay broken this time. Well, and I don't, I mean, I, right. Obama wasn't totally walked all over. I mean, Trump certainly was. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, no, do, no, do you, well, I mean, are you critical of Obama? No, not at oh, all. Okay. You know, you I mentioned mean, Obama. That's he, why I wasn't sure. Or do you mean Trump? No, I'm just saying the, the norms of the presidency of, you know, oh, we have to compromise. Okay, oh, yeah, we yeah, have, yeah, yeah, yeah. have a, a global worldview. Yeah. I mean, the, and now, um, if, if they really wanted to do something, I mean, you, I, I jokingly say that, I, you know, I would be on the National Intelligence Review Board or the National Security Council. Uh, you know, I need to be the National Security Advisor for Hardball. So, you know, it's like my job is to be like the Israeli 10th man, 
where I'm going to give you a contradictory position. Right. And they'll say, oh, we need to have individual sanctions against Russia. And it should be, no, we need to arrest every FSB officer. When we see them, we roll them. <laughs> you know, let them know. You know, let them know. Game's on, bitches. But do so, you think – do you think – liberals, not just Democrats, but liberals are willing to accept hardball with Russia. I could imagine people listening to, you know, you talk with us right now and say, well, again, it'll be Glenn Greenwald for starters, but you know, the old, oh my God, you want a cold war? You're going to get people killed. What do you the say funny to that? Thing is I get the, it's the Greenwalds that say, this is McCarthyite. No one's accusing anybody of anything that they didn't actually do. Yeah. Okay. I'm not accusing Bugs Bunny of being a secret communist. Right. I'm talking about people that may be in the pay of Russia and having been under, you know, having been in the position that they were, they need to be investigated and cleared. But Russia is guilty as heck. So we need to make sure that the payback that comes there, um, I think, to tell you the truth, I think that liberal America, that the average American who is not a Trump crony or clone or cultist, really understands we were badly hurt by all of this. And this thing with Russia, it ain't a hoax, especially when we can come out and say, well, here's what Mueller really found out in the unredacted reports. You know, he just decided he wasn't going to file a criminal charge. A lot of stuff can be refiled. And then people might suddenly find their loyalty to the flag and the Constitution, because all I've seen is four years of people compromising their the Constitution and working for money above above loyalty to this country, that needs to be outed. Couldn't I mean I couldn't agree more. Just a because of what it's already done to us, but b you know you don't out it, you don't hold them responsible, and they're free to do it in the future too. I mean these are people you know that, yeah go. I like to tell people that if if you want a standard, if you want to understand where my point of view comes from, one of the earliest films that ever made a real deep deep impact on me where i understood it i understood it and i was i was uh, abhorred by what i saw and what i learned uh was when i was a young teenager and i saw judgment at nuremberg for the first time yeah and i realized these people need to be held to account and that's what we need to go back to. We need to go back to that level of dignity, that level of upholding the rule of, rule of law. And I don't care whether it's Russians or congressmen or, you know, people who thought they could make a quick buck. That's right. the level of, of, of legal standard we're going to hold you to. Right. Now, of course, we're not going to hang anybody, but uh, we definitely should put people in prison who broke the law. No I don't think that, that, that should be a very controversial thing to say. Um, no, I mean, we watched four years of criminality and everyone right down to the journalists who were saying, you know, I mean, who was it? Andrew Sullivan called me a conspiracy theorist and a fabulist on a national TV show. Andrew did. Oh. And it's like, oh, yeah. yeah, he did that on Hardball. Hmm. And and when Zerlina Maxwell was pointing out simply that everything I said was corroborated by the Mueller report. But right. we have people who believe the fantasy that they, their opinions, what they do, they can commit crimes and that they are above the law in the Trump era. And that after the Trump era, you know, the George Papadopoulos is and, and Mike Flynn's and, you know, Donald Trump Jr.'s, 
and you know they can get away with it because it happened during pop's time nope all <laughs> right here's what law says about that right. uh, same with donald trump you know we have to recalibrate it otherwise our laws literally mean that once you're in office you can just compromise the entire american system of justice bill barr he's right at the top of the food oh uh, that one yeah. yes uh, right to me right after after trump should be barr for everything he's he's helped happen um i think we we've had you for a while i i mean i i don't want to take up too much of your time i can ask you one more question about what sure. you think about what's going on right now mm-hmm. with the with these dhs shock troops being sent out by oh, yeah. trump or the unmarked the unmarked oh. ones yeah look you know what Early on, when they were coming up with the concept of Department of Homeland Security, its mandate was to be an umbrella agency that brought disparate groups of law enforcement intelligence together to counter foreign threats which entered the United States, foreign terrorist threats which entered the United States. Domestic counterterrorism remained the purview of the FBI as it does today. DHS has now been turned into a paramilitary police organization, which has likened themselves as Donald Trump's personal shock troops. DHS must be disbanded. I mean, we will not be able to come back from this and say, oh, legislatively, we're going to make sure that you can't use border and customs. No, disbanded. All of the intelligence and coordination functions needs to be put under the Directorate of National Intelligence and that the FBI should be established again as the Department of Homeland Security. They have abused their power. Customs and Border Patrol are the worst of all the organizations. They've gone from, you know, a few border cops to now being essentially a full-scale paramilitary force operating on the border. 50% of those officers need to be disarmed and put into administrative functions. Uh, I think custom, I think Border Patrol should be its own independent group operating under the, under the uh, watchful eye of the FBI. And so that, they, that no, the FBI is the federal law enforcement agency, no one else. And that way you have cops monitoring cops as opposed to cops thinking that they are independent entities and forces unto themselves. All of their intelligence and surveillance assets like drones. Uh, reconnaissance aircraft, that all needs to be taken away from them because they're using them now. They're using this stuff. They're using social media intelligence collection in Seattle. Uh, I don't recall anyone saying that these are members of ISIS. This was about spray painting a building. And Trump made that task force up to guard statues, including non-federal ones. And these cops jumped into it with gusto. Well, did, no. did you see, did you see that ridiculous tweet Cuccinelli sent out? So Ken Cuccinelli, yes. a lot of you may remember, was, I want to say, Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. Who, or was he running for Lieutenant Governor? I think he was uh, AG. Is he he AG? for Governor and he lost. He the yeah. Attorney General. He, he was the one who wanted to reban sodomy and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. And he then was on CNN for a while. Now he's back in the administration. I think Deputy Secretary or something at uh, – at Homeland Security, and he's tweeting out yesterday. This was amazing, Malcolm. He's tweeting out a picture of, look at what police found. The protest, this was a protester. A protester arrived with a shield and a gas mask. A gas mask. And and he's saying, they are are preparing for violence. And I wrote back and I went, 
it's a shield and a gas mask. They're preparing for from violence from you. They're not preparing to commit yeah. violence. You don't prepare to commit violence with a shield unless you're Captain America. A shield is to stop people from hitting you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, if anything, it's it's. I mean, I agree. It's all gotten a little weird out there. But but the fact that you even need a shield, but shields are not actually offensive weapons. <laughs> Again, short of superheroes. <laughs> you know, it's just. Oh God. And like you say, graffiti too. No, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not, yeah, go on. He appeared to be upset that these people would bring resources to protect themselves from being gassed. Again, defensive, defensive, I'm fine with. And I actually like the idea of defensive. Offensive, I don't like from any, either side, but but, you know. But the point is, this is Department of Homeland Security has been militarized. Disband them. I mean, I would say, I mean, I would literally defund all riot control equipment. I would demand that it be turned in and liquidated. Um, you know, I've said that to Maxine Waters. I wrote her a little note. Uh, and that, you know, U.S. government resources. Let me tell you something about the gear they're wearing. Hmm. They're wearing special operations level equipment. Ops core helmets that are a thousand bucks each. The clothes they're wearing, cry precision, you know, generation three combat Is, uniforms. Somebody's getting rich off of that, and I bet they're connected to Trump. Yeah. Did, does Eric Prince it, make it, that stuff? <laughs> no, I mean, they're contracting it through DHS, but the amount of money, these guys are wearing $10,000 worth of gear, literally special forces issue equipment. No. Go back I'm to your really little green you uniform with your border patrol patch and I'm, start humping, you know, humping patrols down on the border. I, I'm There's, glad you're the law it. needs Just, to be changed that they cannot be within outside of 10 miles of the border. This 100-mile yeah, zone, this 200-mile this protective area, either that or disband and we'll start all over. Will we, will we, uh, we'll separate border patrol from immigration and the nationalization service, but – the whole CBP concept, it's done. The under DHS, it all has to be broken up. And I'm saying that as a professional, as an intelligence professional. I mean, that's why I was saying I'm glad to hear you say it because I've been thinking that lately too. I just, whatever, you know, the, the original mission when Gary Hart and Warren Rudman were talking about DHS and all, you know, right. what we were thinking back then, this is nothing even close to that. This is not at know, all. And I've been thinking lately too that this, it, the money that's wasted. The organization is just another layer of bureaucracy that's unnecessary. As you're saying, everything can, all these functions can be put under different other entities that already exist. Uh, it's these guys. Yeah. They're, they're essentially the Soviet MVD, which was the internal security force of the KGB. And their job was to make sure people didn't get out and they do, would do these secret police actions. And then the KGB would come and bring you to your prison. This is all wrong. It has. It, I, I said this the other day on, on Twitter. I called uh, Chad Wolf, the guy who went to university on a tennis scholarship at a third-rate <laughs> college, uh, who came up as a lobbyist and went to TSA as a deputy director and is now the first director of the American Secret Police. That he, guy, right. he, he never was, was even personally he, accountable. And they abused the, uh, what do you call it, act, because he never was even confirmed by the Senate. They put him in. Never confirm, and it's and his time's up. People need to go to prison for this, so that people go, "Whoa, I'm not going to be the secret police director. I can go to prison." Uh, if we let them off like they did, you know, the Iran Contra style, and everybody is 
let bygones be bygones. We're going to do this again in four, eight years. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Well, anyway. all right. Yeah. Anything fun to say? Anything fun to end with? Uh, for, yeah, anything, any happier note, Malcolm? Well, you think we're going to win in the fall, yes? Yes, I do. But everybody needs to bring five people that have never voted before. This needs to be a blowout. We need to blow out the margins. Yeah. Ohio, yep. critical state. Critical state. I don't believe Ohio is red and that it all just suddenly turned red and every union guy has, you know, is, is on the side of Trump. I don't no, believe we're that at all. Here right now, Biden's up here. We just need to make sure we carry it through. Same with Georgia and Texas and these other states like yep. that. Yep. I would like to see a 400 electoral college blowout. And then once we have the House, the Senate and the presidency, we get rid of the electoral college. Honest yep. to God. Well, you know, you know, nobody talks about that, by the way. Meaning on the right, had they lost two presidencies in 20 years after they had won the popular vote, but, but to the Electoral College, they would have gotten rid of it. They, we, we don't even talk about it. I mean, you're talking about it now, but we you know need, what I mean. At the highest we need level, to go back to being a democracy. We need to become yeah. a full-fledged yeah. democracy. That's correct. Absolutely As opposed to, yep. We're treating the all presidency right. like the House of There you go. I think we've all agreed on that. All right. So. Thanks, Malcolm. This has been Thanks amazing. So here, good, luck, good luck on the oh, book. Fun. The book, everybody's The all Plot right. to Betray America. You should go buy it. You'll learn lots of stuff as you have this podcast. Exactly. All Thank right. you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, buddy. Bye Appreciate bye. it. Take care. Oh, there he goes. I always like a little safer Malcolm. doing Malcolm's out there. I always like <laughs> talking to Malcolm. Well, he's funny because I re- towards the beginning I remembered uh, about maybe eight minutes into some Malcolm soliloquy. I was like, oh, that's right. We don't have to ask Malcolm questions. <laughs> I remember true. previous interviews were literally. I mean, I mean, you know, and it's true. Cliff and I like to talk a lot. But he let, yeah, you let him go, and he'll, he'll. He goes for eight or ten minutes, and it's a fascinating. It's like having the. It's like the best college prof ever. Yep. <laughs> you know, we only have. A, uh, you know, there are a lot of great guests. We're have. drinking, buddy. Actually, can mention Malcolm at a dinner party. Oh, Malcolm's like yeah. Malcolm's oh. one of the few people. And again, not to, we've had a ton of great guests, but he's one of the few people that you, I don't know that we need to ask any questions. We can just be like, okay, just talk for an hour. Yep. Yep. We've and reserved we the mic for them. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm trying to, I mean, you know, as always, we sort of get this by the end. I don't know if I want to delve into other stuff because we've been talking for an hour already anyway, but. Um, well, I, don't know, I mean, is there a ton else to really delve I mean, into? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of little stuff. But I don't think it's worth it. I think it's worth mentioning that. Uh, that that there's probably a relationship here. I've been actually talking with if Gwen Graham, former Congresswoman, uh, you know, former Senator Graham's daughter. Yep. Like, you know, on Twitter a little bit back and forth because she put something out there. Four hundred thousand people now oh. have have been tested positive coronavirus in Florida alone. Oh. Alone. Oh. Right. That Florida is literally becoming like the world hotspot, and and DeSantis is every bit as bad as Trump refuses to do anything. This, folks, may be related to the fact of why um, a poll came out from Quinnipiac yesterday. And again, this sounds high to oh, me. Right. I'm a poll. Yeah, it, yeah. Had, it had Biden up 13 points in Florida. Now, I don't, I don't subscribe to that. I think it's closer. But I do think when you look at all the unique factors – about Florida that, you know, like literally everything Donald Trump has handled and done the worst and the same with DeSantis uh, obviously has hurt the various groups that Trump needs to win in Florida. COVID is hurting, is scaring the crap out of the elderly. That's obviously one of the largest populations in Florida. They're breaking away all his stuff, attacking Latinos, Latinas, huge factor in Florida. Florida has how many big cities in it? 
I mean, right. you know, it's like Texas, right? I mean, you go, you've got Jacksonville, you've got Tampa, you've got Miami, right? I mean, you've got Tallahassee. There's so many cities in the, what do those cities all have? Suburbs, what used to be largely Republican suburbs. Orlando is another one. They're losing them, you know, it'll be with, with all this stuff. Like all the sort of groups there, veterans. Florida disproportionately has a ton of veterans. They've alienated them with everything Trump's done, the bounties and the right. way he treated Vindman. And so, I mean, you know, and then, then you look at the COVID cases there. I mean, it, you know, I, I think that it's not necessarily 13 points, but I think Florida has, at least for the moment, has ceased to be a swing state. I think it's a solid lean Biden, which is good news. Right. Right. Obviously, everybody has to vote and go out and do everything. But I think that Florida, in a unique way, has been a perfect storm of them doing everything wrong possible to alienate all the, the, the voting groups they need in that state. Oh, I know what I was going to ask you with that regard. I was thinking of a question as you were talking. I don't think it. I, I'm trying now. I'm gonna now. You're gonna say that was me. You. Somebody the other day was telling me that they were because I was saying, you know, I get worried about polls going back and forth. Um, I got. I was worried before the 2016 election. I thought Hillary was gonna win, but I told people a couple of days before, and I told you this. I told people a couple of days before she's gonna win, but I don't like the polls. And they said, "What do you mean?" I right. said, "Well, they keep going back and forth. Trump's ahead. She's ahead. Trump's ahead." And it made Even me feel when like she was up. They were always close, and that was always it, well. Well, I didn't like that the polls were going back and forth, though. No, it was that last month that with Access Hollywood and everything else, they were this way, they were that way. It made me feel like her support wasn't very deep. It wasn't yes. very strong because it was – and the only thing that worries me a little bit is I don't like the polls swinging this wildly because it could be a sign that, my God, people hate Trump, which is great, right? Or it could be, like I was saying, this weird, like, right now they – because this is more typical of Trump, right? Right now he's pissing them off, and then if he shuts up for a while, they go back to the middle again, and he gets back to his 44 45%. Somebody retorted to me and said, yeah, but – because of early voting, a lot of these votes are going to get locked in soon. Is that true? Yes. Is, is Biden peaking up. too soon or is early voting going to help? No, I, it is. I would have to look up when they when it all begins because obviously the the our patchwork system, which is another thing that needs to be reformed. Um, I'm sorry, but there needs to be federal oversight, not just the Voting Rights Act, but even more robust than that over what states do. It should it should be standard in every damn state. You know, the states should be allowed to be the ones to administer elections. But it, it, this sort of, you know, so I can tell you, I don't know state to state because I don't know all of them. I know that some of them are, will be, you know, some early voting will be starting in like a month, you know? I mean, right. certainly by September, or, you know, beginning of September. So, I mean, uh, yeah, some of this stuff, it does, some of it does get locked in. And you start, okay. you, and what you want to do when you're, you know, a campaign operative is oh. you want to bank all the earliest votes possible right. from the folks supporting right. you. Right. Who are least who who are, who are the most risky to either not vote or not be supporting you two right, months later? Right. Your definitive voters who vote all the time and are going to support you, right? You know, they're going to make it eventually. You're not worried about that. Um, another difference. interesting election question to ask you, and Nate Silver had mentioned, or somebody mentioned it, and Nate responded and said that's really interesting, but we'd have to we don't know. We'd have to look at the data. How, let's assume that a lot of college kids don't go back to college this fall, yeah, and instead. That. Right, they're studying from home. That means when, if they're going to vote in the fall, will their residency now be their home with their parents and not their college home in another state? How many states will this affect that either have big college towns like Michigan or whatever that no longer might? Well, Michigan though they may be locals, they may be Michigan people anyway. But but you know what I mean? Like if you were cross, if you were going to another state. You may not no, be boarding at your parents' house. Well, let me give you a classic example, right? And I will mean, that help or hurt us is my question. Well, yeah. New York's not a swing state. 
Pennsylvania is. I, I was I grew up in New York City and and cast my most of my earliest votes in Pennsylvania because that's where I was living for college. If if there had been this virus and pencil and it had been canceled school, I would have been in New York right. and wouldn't have been voting in Pennsylvania. There's a classic example of you losing a vote in a swing state. So yeah, you have to assume it's going to make some difference. The question is, you're right. Without doing an analysis of the states and more more the, to the point, the cities in those states. You know, particularly because that's where more there tend to be more colleges, but, you know, everywhere where where you've got the most college students who come from out of state, this would be an interesting analysis to do. I yeah. mean, it has to influence things. I just I can't tell you offhand how. Which way? That's what I mean. <laughs> like, is it going to help us in states where they're not leaving the state? Is it going to hurt us in states where you have a big city? If a state were close, right? Illinois is close probably, right? But right. But I'm thinking other states – that have got a big city where now here's what I would say. Yeah. This is the, this is something of somewhat of a caveat to that, which is most of races. Go on, I'm sorry. Congressional races could be oh, affected a lot. Oh, well, sure. That, yeah. and obviously fewer votes needed. Certainly, state legislative races could be changed by this yeah. easily. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say is, in terms of statewide electoral college votes, um, you're, you're at least most of the the largest. Uh, student body populations are at state schools where the vast majority or at least majority tend to come from in state. Correct. So Correct. at least then you're right. That could affect congressional races more in state legislative. It's a little right. less likely to, to affect, you know, you think of Rutgers, which is huge, Ohio state, which is yeah. huge, you know, university of Michigan, places like that. Well, yeah. that's less likely because the majority of, of folks, and I'd have to look up how much yeah. come from the same state, they're in state to save the but, but as we said, but a congressional district covering that school suddenly yeah. lost a ton of liberal voters. No, that, that yeah. I would think that could really change things. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah very interesting. I, I have no idea to be able to do that analysis of what yeah. now, you know, when you're talking about where the, most of these schools are, a lot of them tend to either be in college towns that that have also professors, other people, they tend to be a little more liberal overall than you know rural areas anyhow and, and i'd say on top of that you also in, in schools or in major cities a lot of the time and those tend to be more liberal anyhow so yes. again the question is what yeah. the net difference is and i, I have no and answer. and then you I, you know you, you almost would have to go you for example you could go to uh ann arbor or something right uh, university of michigan yep. and if the data shows this you'd have to see a how many college students vote uh, or maybe a, maybe a how many college students are there? B how many of them vote? C are they liberal or conservative? Right, probably more liberal, but who knows? Um, and then you'd have to look at how many vote in congressional elections or whatever. So you'd say, is it because they're still kids and kids don't vote as much? So you, it still would become an interesting issue, actually. And even for voting, yeah, kids don't vote as much, so you, you've got that issue too. Of, right. of are they even if they were there, are they significant? And if they're not there, then will they be? Or is it just like you're losing 2% of the vote and then in a close race, it might matter. But, you know, I don't somebody, even remember. Somebody, yeah. somebody should be doing a study and tracking that kind of a thing because you're yeah. right. I mean, and again, though, larger private universities like the one that I went to that had 20,000 students, about 10 undergrad, 10 grad, you know, probably a few, maybe 1,000, 2,000, maybe 3,000 even were from mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, but the others weren't. And so how does that affect it if, if the net 17,000 – some of them have to be Trump voters, God help us. Not most of them, I would assume, these days, but some. So you, you might lose a net 15, 14, 12, 11,000 voters just from the school I went to.
right. possible. I mean, and, but of right. course, that's also assuming everybody votes, and that's not going to happen either. Right, right. So I don't know. It's you know these things. You need people, somebody smarter than me, and all this stuff to figure it out. Yeah, I'm just curious. It's interesting though. No, it's, all it's, right, it's worth thinking about. Absolutely. Yep. But, We've been going for a good hour and a half now. I think we will wrap it up, folks. Uh, probably back on maybe Monday and Wednesday, depending. Some guests we're trying to nail down, so we shall see. Um, one fabulous one that we won't tell you about. We're yet. not going to tell you about because because we, we want to make sure we that a, we get we, them first. We have the person <laughs> nailed down, and, and you would yeah. love it if we if we indeed if we do, but we don't want to jinx it. So, all right, then uh, probably talk to you guys on Monday. Then, all right. All right, take care, guys. Thank you. Bye.